0: Somebody asked me this week, they're like, so did we buy that video? Oh, no, we didn't buy that video. Someone made that video. Uh, our video team made it. That's in somebody's kitchen. Um, yeah. So, but we are talking about a uh, piece of cake, right? And, and often when it comes to the Christian life, we can get into this whole mode of like, it, we can make it sound easier than it is sometimes. And I don't know about you, but my week this week, uh, I woke up Monday and it wasn't long into my day, I started to notice that, man, my chest feels tight. And I started, like, struggling to breathe. And I was like, man, I just feel really anxious, and I don't know why. Like, I have nothing to be, I don't know what's going on. And, and so I was like, well, you know, struggled through Monday and went, it's okay. Tuesday will be better. Uh, woke up Tuesday and went about my day, and the same stuff started happening. And I started going, okay, it's like, something's not right. And Wednesday, same Thursday. Uh, there were moments where I couldn't catch my breath, and um, it's inside of those moments that this whole conversation we have about a piece of cake exists, right? It's in the moments where we're like, ah, I don't know what life's doing. I don't know what life looks like. I don't know what, and, and, and in those moments, like, just to clarify, I, I'm okay. I don't need anybody to, like, tell me about anxiety or what. We're good. We're good. I, I'm good. I'm good. Whatever was going on has stopped and we're good. But it's in those moments that I had a choice. Am I going to walk with Jesus in this moment or am I going to search the internet and figure out every single thing that's possibly wrong and, and worry myself to death and try and self-correct? Or, or can I just calm myself and go, okay, Jesus, can you, can you help me in this moment to breathe? Can you help me in this moment to, to just rest in you? Right? Because that's real life. If we're honest, that's real. I mean, I had another moment of real life last Sunday. Um, I wasn't here. I was on a soccer field and there was a moment in this game and, and they're young ladies. They're like 17 and 18 year old, right? They're, they're young women at this point. Right. And, and one of them takes a ball straight to the nose. Right. And she's my tough kid. She's my kid that like, when the game's rough, I look at her and I go, I just need you to go in and just rough some people up. And she goes in and takes people out. Um, so she's coming off to the side. I see. I see it happen, and I'm like, Oh, she's fine, right? Because she's that kid. Well, this ref who might have been 20 years younger than me, right? He decides, Oh no, 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 no. She might have a concussion, right? How do I know this girl doesn't have a concussion? She's worried about her nose, right? I know she does. I've seen her with a concussion. She's not worried. like she's going. Hey, is my nose okay? I'm like, Oh, she's fine. She can keep playing. And he goes, No, no. Here's what's going to happen. He goes, she's going to come off the field and you're going to go and get the medic and you can't bring her back on the field till the medic. Okay, it's 94 degree weather. And that would have meant we're playing a player short. Right. Well, she's off the field because I got nobody else to go in. And I look at him and I go, I don't think so. And he goes, oh, no, this is going to happen. And I said, no, it's not going to happen. And and, and so he, he begins to get a little animated and he goes, you need to get the medic. And I said, hang on young man, you get the medic. Which then he looks at me, he goes, it's not my job. And I said, it is today. You get the medic. And at that point there might've been a word that came out of my mouth that I haven't heard out of my mouth in a really long time. It caught me by surprise to where I went, Oh, I really feel passionate about this one. Like what is going on right now? Like, I'm, I'm really like, we're here. Okay, this is reality. And, and in the back of my head, I kid you not, we had just left the hotel where I joined our online campus. And so I've just listened to Ron give his whole thing about it. It's a piece of cake. And I'm like, Ron, it's not a piece of cake. What are you doing? But that's, I don't know about you, that, that's where I live. That's reality of life. Those are the moments that I'm either going to invite Jesus into and it works or it doesn't. Those are the moments that catch us by surprise where what we're talking about and and Ron framed it up last week. You don't have to turn there, but in Colossians chapter three and verse four, it says when Christ, who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. When when Jesus, who is your life, that's not like that's not like Jesus and my buddy. That's not like Jesus is my 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 keychain. That's not like Jesus is my hang out on a weekend. Raise my hands a little. That that's the Jesus is saying when when Jesus who is your life, your life has been hidden in Christ. The Bible talks about. You have been hidden in Christ, meaning when people see Jesus, they see you. When they see you, they see Jesus. That's how this thing is supposed to work. And those are the moments when we talk about like this concept of life being all connected—that every sphere of life, from anxiety to soccer fields to marriage to all these spaces—what you find in those spaces, or what we should find, is that we're whole and holistic. And I got to thinking: Why is it that culturally, it's not even just Christians? Culturally, when you get into when you get into a situation right we categorize so, so 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 i have my work box and when i'm in my work box everything makes sense for work right step out of my work box i'm on my way home now i'm into my my whatever home box looks like whether that's family whether that's marriage whatever that looks like right then i'm into my 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 leisure box right what i do what i do for that and then and, and somewhere along the way as as humanity we we started to live in this categorized world. And it's not even just, like, like I said, it's not just Christians, it's all over. The, the, a common thing you'll find is people compartmentalize, and I start to go like, I started just asking the question, where did it come from, and why do we do it? And one of the answers for why we do it, I found out last night, you ever played Pictionary? <laughs> okay, so I play Pictionary. If you play that game, play with somebody who can draw. Because I played with somebody last night, my brother, who in drawing a goldfish looked like a shark. And then it looked like a tiger shark because he put stripes on it. Why? We don't know. But here's how Pictionary works if you haven't played, right? You draw, somebody else guesses. No way I was guessing. There's not a chance, right? So, in this. In this game, one of the things you do is you announce what the category is. And I was like, man, that's interesting. Why would you announce the category? Because what it does is it puts your brain in a specific space. So when you say this is an object, you begin to think what? Objects. Then when it's drawn, your brain's already geared to this is an object. And I think what happens is in our humanity, it's easier to compartmentalize because it takes less energy. It's easier to compartmentalize because when I get in that space, then I just think through that part of my brain. And so one, I think it's easier, is why we do it. But two, I think there's a really big theological reason that we we have entered this space. I think there's a really big theological reason um, for this this what we would call breaking it down to the ingredients of life. And so if you'll let me, I just want to go back to the beginning of the book for a second. Because I think in in the story, the overarching story that we find in the journey of humanity with God, that what we find that when they pen down words of their experience with God, what we began to discover and what we began to find is that this whole concept has an origin. What do I mean? Well, you get to the beginning of the book, and a man named Moses is penning down for us what happened. He's recording the story of God, and it begins with creation. It begins with God breathing, and planets are born, and, and the earth is formed, and everything that we know, including humanity. And then at one point, he tells the humans. He creates humans, and then he tells them, hey, you're going to be fruitful and multiply. Okay, so if we're just categorizing for a second within the story, what you get in this moment is God telling them, hey, have babies, right? So he's actually entering into their procreation life Their their sexual intimate life, like God is entering into that and going, hey, this is what I'm telling you to do. In the same breath, he then tells them, hey, rule over what you see. So he hands them leadership. So you got your procreation life. you got your leadership life. And then next to your leadership life, a little later, he says, hey, I want you to work the garden and take care of it. So all of what he's told them so far is inside of the garden. And now he tells them, hey, here's your work. This is what I want you, you to put your hands to. This is what I want you to do. I want you to take care of it. And then inside of that, he actually tells them that that they can enjoy their leisure part. You can enjoy, enjoy the different foods that I've created. So you have their leisure life. And then it gets to marriage where it talks about leaving and cleaving and, you know, husbands and wives. and, and, And so so then it gets into marriage. Well, here's the thing I want you to catch. That's all inside of the garden. And then in chapter 3, when Moses is still writing, he says, and then God comes in the cool of the day and walks with them, where? In the garden. So so there is no separation of what was the, the relational procreation life. There is no separation from that, from leadership. There is no separation from that, from working. There is no separation from that, from... Just the other aspects of, of marriage and relationships on that side. There's no separation. And what you find is God is in the middle of all of it. That you couldn't do any of those without God being part. The cake, if you like, was whole. Now, you get to, you get to chapter 3 a little further. And what you find is that, that God has an enemy. And the enemy of God has come alongside humanity and convinced them that getting off track with God would be better. And this thing called sin enters. And sin has always stood for, in translation, separation. And so there's a separation on multiple levels, but one of those is with God. That humans are now separated from God. And so what you have for the very first time, you have separation of humanity and God. How do, how do you, you, you follow this through the story? And what you discover is the Jews build a tabernacle and the presence of God comes to the tabernacle. What happens? The Jews go to the tabernacle. Why? To meet with God. And then they leave the tabernacle. They're leaving who? God. And they're going back to their life. And what you end up with is you end up with a very segregated, compartmentalized view of the world. That, that, that when I need to make amends with God, I go to what we call church, and when I get to church, when I, when I arrive there, then I actually make right with God, but now I leave and go about the rest of my life. And if you follow church history all the way through, what you discover is what was created over the ages was this view of I go to church, that's where God is, and then I leave that and I go into my life. The problem is we weren't created this way. The problem is the design of humanity was never designed that way. Where you would have a separate life apart from God. And so I think what, what naturally, has, has, over the years, what's happened is then, okay, so, so you have your different areas of life. That's a whole lot easier. Because then I go to, I go to church... And that's in its nice, neat box. And then I go to the rest of my world. I don't think Jesus intended it to be this way. And it's captured, if if, if you'll let me, and I'm going to give you a bunch of disclaimers today. Because it's easy to sit here today and walk out and go, wow, that was such a simple message. It's a simple message that you'll spend the rest of your life trying to Apply. And it has massive ramifications, church. I sat with a young man this week. I love him dearly. And as I sat with him and began to listen to his journey, he began to tell me why he doesn't go to church anymore. And you know what it was? Hypocrisy. You know what hypocrisy is? It's when my world looks like this where my church is here, my church box is here, and so I go to church and I tell everybody, hey, I go to church. I'm a Christian. And then somehow, some way over here, they see you at work and go, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. Aren't Christians honest? You're robbing everybody blind in your business practices. And all of a sudden, what, what is here and what we claim here doesn't go over. That, that, that's hypocrisy. And this young man was going, I can't handle more people that look that way. I said, you've got to come meet some people that I know because they're not that way. I said, you've got to come meet the family. You see, when we get it wrong, when we live inside of the wrong story, then what happens is we end up living a way that God never intended for us to live. And so if you have a Bible, John chapter 10, John chapter 10 and verse one. And Jesus begins to, to give us a picture. And I, I again, more disclaimers for you. I know this passage is talking about something else other than what I'm going to use it for. We could use this passage to talk about the Pharisees and what was going on and what Jesus is teaching against. We could do that. I just want us to catch a simple picture that's presented here because I think what we'll find is it's the connection point between all of this. John chapter 10, verse 1. Very truly, so Jesus starts out with, I'm telling you the truth, guys. I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. So he's going, hold up. If you don't come through the gate, then you're a thief and a robber. So, so what, he's, what he's acknowledging in this moment is there is an enemy, and the enemy is coming over the wall, right? The enemy is, I, mean, I don't know, you ever had your house broken into? Did they come through the front door? Probably not. They come through a window. They come through somewhere else, right? That's all Jesus is saying is, hey, they might come in a different way. Y'all got safe houses because nobody nodded on that. Everybody's like, yeah, I didn't, man. Good. Don't know what you're talking about. Nobody ever broke in my house. The one who enters, verse 2, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought, them, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger... In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize his voice. Okay, so really weird for us, because unless you grew up in farm town, USA, or you're English, right, the whole concept of sheep, the only thing you know about it is at some point you were sitting as a toddler, and there was a book showing you what stuff was, and somebody pointed to this white fluffy thing and went, right, and that's what you know of a sheep, that's it, right, so So this is a little abstract for us, unless you came from a certain context, because we didn't grow up with shepherds and sheep pens and sheep and all that, right? But what it was is Jesus is building a picture that for them sitting in that moment, they would have understood instantly. And the picture is there were rock walls that went around and that made the pen for the, sh- the sheep pen. That's what it was made up of. The walls were all rock. And then there was a gate on the front. And he's saying specifically the thieves come in another way. They're coming over the wall, right? They're not coming through the gate. The shepherd is the one who comes through the gate. And so he's building this picture, and in the midst of building the picture, he begins to talk about, and the shepherd, right, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. So the shepherd speaks to them by name, the sheep recognize his voice, and the sheep follow him. And, and so he's, he's laying out this picture, and in the midst of it then, in verse 6, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So, so John, the author, is like capturing this moment for He's like, yeah, Jesus was talking, they didn't get it. So Jesus said this. Therefore, Jesus said again, I'm telling you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So now he's going all-encompassing, going, I am the gate. So when the only way to get in is through me. So anyone who has come in, they've come through me. And then it says, they will come come in and go out and find pasture. They will come in. So they're going into the sheepfold. They're coming out of the sheepfold and they will find pasture. Check this out. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have Life and have it to the what? Full. Okay. So Jesus is giving this familiar picture to them, right? And now in the midst of it, he goes, hey, remember the thief? So he's connecting now to an enemy. And the original enemy that we talked about that showed up in the third chapter of the book, right, that Moses wrote about, he showed up, and when he showed up, the, the ramifications for humanity was the segregation of everything. Everything split. We split from our own physical bodies. That's where death comes in. We, we naturally are decaying. Along with that, then you have this split between the relationship between God and man, and you end up with religion as we know it, right? That was the original. Jesus now connects and he goes, hey, you have, you have an enemy. And the enemy wants to steal kill, and destroy. All three of those things are designed to separate. What Jesus is getting at is you are the sheep, right? He is the shepherd. And now there's an enemy that is still wanting to get its hands on you. Why? So that it can segregate, separate, and push you apart. Jesus, on the other hand, is going, I have come. What is Jesus' role in this whole thing? Is to bring life. Now, what's fascinating is the next part of that, where it says, In life to the full, we don't have English words to translate that well. Like literally, we, we don't know how to translate it. Because it means abundantly above. It means. It means that it's more than is necessary. Okay, catch this for a second, because there's an enemy that wants you to live this way, and and what Jesus is saying is, I've actually come that you will have so much life that it will flow out of you like it's just too much. It's more than you'll ever need. And in this moment, he's drawing a picture to show us what it looks like to return to the original idea of what humanity was about in the first place, where God and humans, and Jesus goes, that's what I've come for. That's why I'm here. I'm here to put this thing back together. See, what's fascinating in this whole thing is the enemy wants to convince you that this is okay. See, what the enemy wants to do is the enemy wants to convince you that Ah, John, it's it's Friday night, man. Jesus is Sunday. You can go see him and make it right. There is now no, therefore, no condemnation. Right? That's what that's what we're told in Romans. John, there's no condemnation, man. It's Friday. And you wake up and you're like, man, that was a lot of fun. And it's only Saturday, Sunday's not here yet we'll give this one another shot. I'm still a Christian. And you see what the enemy wants to do. He wants to convince you that this is how life should be lived, right? That it's your marriage, your marriage. Jesus doesn't belong in that. And, and, And if you're not careful, you can quickly move away from Jesus is actually what your marriage should be centered on. You see, if we're not careful, all of life Under the the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. What does he want to do to your marriage? Steal, kill, destroy. What does he want to do to your work? He wants it to be a place that Jesus isn't even mentioned. He wants it to be a place that when it comes to your business ethics, they are your business ethics. Can I tell you that Jesus cares about your business ethics? A lot. And if we're not careful, the enemy will convince us that he doesn't, and it's just business, you're fine. You're good, bro. I I know this passage can be preached different. I know that. But I really, really think what Jesus is getting at is he wants us to catch the picture. So if you'll let me, in the minute 22 that I have left, I just want to paint for you the picture that Jesus is painting because you see if you're a sheep which is what you are in this passage that means that when you're led to the sheep pen at night and you go into the sheep pen right you're just a little sheep getting your sheep pen meh right and you're chatting with your buddy and life's good because you're in the pen and you're like man I'm just a little tired and so you decide you're going to hunker down for the night You know where the shepherd is? He's laying at the door. Why? To make sure that nobody comes in and harms you. So in your rest moment, the pen would be your home moment. Jesus is at the gate because he is the gate. And he's protecting you as you sleep. No, it's crazy to me when people go, man, I don't, I'm not a person of faith. You know what my answer is? You go to sleep. You ever think about it? You have no control when you sleep. None whatsoever. People that think they control everything, just go to sleep. You'll realize you don't. And in, the, in this pen, as sheep, we fall asleep. And the, the confidence that we have lies in the shepherd who is at the door. That the thief won't get us. And then somewhere along the way, we wake up as sheep and... Right? And, and over here, the shepherd goes, I can translate. That's breakfast. And so the shepherd then says that he calls them by name. He calls you by name. He knows you. We're going back to the intimacy that we find in Eden where he knows them by name. And so now he calls them by name. Hey, Billy, come on out. And Billy's like, meh, all the way out, right, meh, right? Billy's just excited. Sally, come on. And now Sally comes out. Why? Because they know the voice of the shepherd. It's intimacy. And the shepherd, it says, goes out ahead of them. The shepherd leads them down the path. And they're just right behind, right behind. And it says that the shepherd takes them out to pasture. Psalm 23 captures it, that he leads us beside still waters. And he makes us lie down in green pastures. Why? Listen to the next phrase. I am the good shepherd. That's his definition of who he is in this picture. He is a good shepherd. So the good shepherd leads you to pasture. Why? Not because he needs to eat, because what? You need to eat. As a sheep, you got to what? You got to eat. And so now the sheep is in the field, and the shepherd watches over the sheep while they what? What is the work of a sheep? You ever think about that? Stand in the field and eat. That's your work. So in their category of work, Jesus is where? Right alongside. And then nighttime starts to come and the shepherd, who's looking out for the sheep, knows that there's wolves, right? And the shepherd goes, hey, let's go, Billy. And what do they do? They follow him all the way back where? All the way back to the pen where we started. It's an all-encompassing day. And who's it been lived with? The good shepherd. I believe more than anything that what Jesus came to do is to put your life back together. That this is a cruel version of what the enemy wants you to live. That the enemy wants you to live in spaces where God's not present, right? And what Jesus came to do is he goes, no, I came to give you life and give you life abundance. That means when you show up at work on your Monday, guess what? The good shepherd led you there is how it's supposed to work. The good shepherd not only went with you, but he led you into that space. He goes before you. So that when you get in that space with the good shepherd, what happens is now he's led you there. Your eyes are on him, but you're able to what? Do what you need to do throughout that space. But what are you always conscious of? The good shepherd. You come home and I don't know if sheep have husbands and wives, but I don't know if they have families. Don't know what their home situation looks like. But the idea is that when you get home, the good shepherd is where? Right there holding it all together. I think it's simple, church. What God has been doing for all of history is he's had a design for humanity that he is putting it back together. And in Jesus, what he declares, in Jesus, what he declares is that he has come to give life and more life than you could ever live if you'll let him. What's our role? May I hear your voice? Where are you at? I'm there. Man, Jesus, you're speaking to me in this moment. You want me to respond this way? Okay. Man, Jesus, I blew that one. You want me to show what it looks like to to humble myself and walk in humility? I'll go do that. Wow, this person hurt me. Man, Jesus, how do I I forgive them in this moment? Man, I have a choice right now. I could go this way and make a lot of money and it be kind of shady. Or I can go this way and know that it's upheld and righteous. I'm going to say no to the extra money. Thanks. See how it works? It's simple. And I think the image that Jesus has given us is that he's putting it back to how it was at the garden where humanity got to walk with God in everything with no separation. Talks about in in specific places, Paul pulls it out, especially in Romans, that what we have in Jesus is a freedom from sin. Okay, now in the concept of the large story, it's a freedom from separation. You are no longer separated. Why? Because in Christ, you have been joined together. In Jesus, in Jesus, your weak doesn't have to look like hypocrisy. I think we make it really complicated sometimes. And I know for some of you, you're going, man, that's all you got. Hey, church, if we ever outgrow this story, we're in a whole lot of trouble. Because as simple as this is, you try and live it with your anxiety on a Monday. And you try and live it in the moments like Kaylee led us into. When at 22, you're saying goodbye to family members. You try and live it in the moment when your rage is in front of you. it's some young referee who doesn't even know how to wipe his own nose. Y'all thought I was going to say something else, didn't you? But church, God's got a plan and he's been penning it for all of history. The question is, will we as a community step in and go, man, this would change the world. This would change the world. So would you pray with me? God, we come before you. God we're humbled as the psalmist put it that you would even look our way what are mere mortals what are we God that you would even be mindful God we started this thing with a celebration that we are sons and daughters God we started this thing recognizing of what you've given us in Jesus and God we end it Being in awe that you're putting all things back together in Jesus. All things, including every part of our lives. So God, as we sit here on a Sunday, it's easy to be inspired. But in our anxiety of a Monday, would you be so prevalent? Would our eyes be on the shepherd who's in front? God as we move through our week and we're tempted to get off track and things don't line up as they should God would you remind us that you're in the presence of them would you remind us that in your spirit we're never alone and would you remind us that God you you loved us first the whole time so God as we step out of these doors Would we continue to live holistically the way you've designed us to be? We're so grateful that a tomb is empty, that death is conquered. We're so grateful that the end of the story is, God, we will never be out of your physical presence again. That we have a glorious day awaiting. And so, God, in between would you allow us to build our life on you and you alone? Would you allow us to build our life on the the love that you had for us first. And would you give us a holy confidence to step into the spaces you call us as you're leading because you know us by name. Thank you for knowing us. Thank you for loving us. And everybody said, amen.